passage of scripture this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Uh, we're going to read all the way verses 1 through 13. This is on page 822 in the uh, Maroon Bibles in your pew Bible if you want to follow along with those. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a, cloud for, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. When I was growing up, I, um, I was an Air Force brat, which means that we moved a lot and, um, and, uh, and we're immersed in the military culture. Dad was an officer, and so we saw a particular uh, side of that. And I have these, these vague memories, um, because I'm getting old, but these vague memories of, of amazing moments. I remember driving on the Air Force Base, and some, some of you military people can remember this, and the, the um, flag would be taken down at sunset, and they would play the national anthem. And everyone on the base would stop the car and get out of the car and put their hand over their heart, or if they were in uniform, they would salute. For those days, a long time ago, weren't they? Um, but, but it made such an impression on me. My dad was an officer, so he had one of those pretty fancy uniforms and, and all these, these different symbols of the experiences that he'd had in the military. And I remember sneaking into his closet and, and, and just fingering those things and, and thinking, I want to be, be like Dad. Isn't it amazing how when, when, you, when you have some vision of something grand and and glorious, whether it's a sports figure or a rock star or or a military person or something like that, you want to be 
like that. And, and, and so, you, so you study it, you look to it, and you fix your eyes on it, and, and then in many cases, many times, uh, you become like that. I think the reason I didn't go into the military was because there was no girls at the Air Force Academy at that time. <laughs> at that time, and I'm thinking, what am I thinking? I'm not going to go there. Um, I know pretty slimy reason to not, to not pursue a military career. But we're looking today at this amazing story uh, where uh, God reveals his glory. Jesus reveals his glory to his disciples. And, and there's a fundamental principle. There's two major principles I want you to get today. But there's a fundamental principle that kind of guides us through the whole thing. And I want to just say that right up front so you can be thinking about that while we study this passage together. And the, the principle is this. We will become like that which we behold. Okay? We will become like what we behold. In other words, if we fix our eyes on something, whether that's something positive or whether that's something negative or destructive, that we, uh, from one degree to another, become like that. We become like that. That's why I think our memory verse for today, the Apostle Paul says, would you flash that up on the screen for us? Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Will you say that with me? And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Give me the address. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I love the way, I think it's the King James put it. We've been changed from glory to glory. Have you watched that? We've experienced it right here in our midst where someone has a phenomenal experience of the glory of the Lord. It's transformative. And, and, and you think, it can't get any better than this. And, and then, boom, somewhere down the road... God reveals his glory even more. And, and we feel like, was I wrong before? No, no, you weren't wrong at all. You were moving from one degree of glory to another. That's what God says his purpose for you is. Talking about Christ, uh, Paul says we're being transformed from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another. As I think, in other words, the more you behold Christ the more you become like Christ. Does that more like Christ sound familiar to you? He's given us a secret to our mission statement, you guys. Behold. And, and behold is a stronger word. It's, it's kind of like sounds King Jamesish to us, and I kept it because it means, look, look, looky there, literally looky there. This, there's a surprising reality that, that you might not have experienced. Behold. Our God, behold Jesus Christ. The more you and I fix our attention, yes, but also our affection on Jesus, the more we'll want to become like Jesus. So if it's possible this morning, what I want to do is, is to show you Jesus. All of that's vision is Jesus Christ. If we just lift him up, he will do the miracles. He will draw you. He will draw all men and women to himself. I want to show you, Jesus. I want to show you the most exhilarating and awe-inspiring and worship-evoking portrait of Christ in all of Matthew. 
We've been studying mostly in Matthew on this journey together. And today we come to this amazing passage. And as you see him, my prayer is that you will want to become more like him. You'll want to become more like Jesus. Not in, not in the sense of becoming divine. Many have stumbled over that. Many denominations have stumbled over that. It's really the very first temptation, isn't it? You can become like God, right? Not in the sense of becoming divine, but in the sense of wanting his character to be your character. In the sense of wanting his love to be your love. In the sense of wanting his life to be your life. That's the goal today. Is that all right? That's the goal. So behold, beloved, in this passage, the divine glory of the Son. It's interesting, isn't it? That Matthew says, after six days. Remember, not a word's wasted in Scripture, right? Thinking, is that just throwaway? Is he just, that's what happened? No, no. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain of God before he asked to see his glory? He was up there six days, six days before God revealed himself to him. Six days going, I can't, I can't understand what's happening here. I don't know what's coming next. It was, there was a six-day period of anticipation. And it's almost like after that amazing scene... Uh, where we took them out of order, but where, where Peter is able to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Six days, Jesus waits with them. Now, we don't know what mountain he went to. I, 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 I think we're going to get to heaven. I would love it if we got to heaven and found out that in those six days, they went the 150 miles down to, to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. You'll see why in just a second. But... It doesn't really matter what mountain. It very possibly could have been Mount Hermon because Caesarea Philippi is right at the foot of Mount Hermon. It's this massive, glorious mountain right there. But what happened was Jesus took them up on that mountain and there, Luke tells us an important piece that Jesus was praying. And guess what? Whenever Jesus prays, what do the disciples do? Sleep. And, they, and, and, and it's like they became asleep, Right? And when they looked up from their sleep, we're going to see this a few more times in the next couple of weeks, aren't we? When they looked up from their sleep, now it's not Jesus. Now there are three radiant figures there, right? And I don't know how he knew who they were. I don't think it said, hi, my name is Moses or anything on a name tag. Um, but, but Moses and Elijah are standing there with Jesus, Right? Now, don't miss the connection here, right? Why is it Moses and Elijah? Because Moses had the same experience, right? Moses also went up on a mountain. Moses also waited six days. Moses cried out, show me, show me your glory, right? And God said, you can't handle my glory, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand and you can see my backside is literally what it says. Because you cannot look on my face and live. And Moses got a glimpse of, of his glory. And what happened to Moses' face as a result? Right? It, it glowed. It, it glowed. And, and, and it scared everybody else. They said, uh, why don't you go talk for us, okay? We can't handle this. It's so appropriate. Moses, who, who delivered God's people from the bondage of slavery, right? And who gave them the law is standing here on this mountain with Jesus. And who else is with him? Elijah, right? We spent quite a bit of time. Some of you are going, are we looking at Elijah again today? We, we spent quite a bit of time on Elijah's life because, because Elijah, Elijah uh, is an amazing, an amazing 
probably the quintessential prophet. So if the sum of God's revelation is, is included in the law and the prophets in a Hebrew mind, there is Moses, uh, who represents the law and deliverance, and, and Elijah, who represents prophecy, standing right there with him, beholding the divine glory of the Son. So Moses, if you're following along with the notes, Moses, the law, had reflected divine glory. He, he asked in Exodus 33, show me your glory. God says, I will show you my glory. And Moses' glory was a reflected glory. Elijah, the prophets who represented the prophets, had proclaimed divine glory. Do you remember Elijah also had a mountaintop experience? Didn't he remember that in 1 Kings 19? He had Jezebel had said, I'm going to kill you. And he went to where? The mountain of God. And on the mountain of God, it, it actually said the Lord passed by. The exact same words that are used of Moses' experience. On the same mountain, the same cloud, all the same experiences. Elijah proclaimed this glory of God. He experienced it and he proclaimed it. And now those two witnesses have come. And there's a third one. And, and, and Matthew describes his appearance as just radiance, right? His clothes are so bright that you could hardly look at them. Now there's Jesus, the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets, the one who would now not deliver them from slavery in Egypt, but from the slavery to sin. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and prophets, now reveals divine glory. Moses reflected it. Elijah proclaimed it. Jesus reveals that divine glory. Do you still have the passage open? Open that back up, would you? In Matthew 17. Because I want you to see how he does that. I want you to see how Jesus reveals God's divine glory. I've lost my page, so I'm going back to get it. How does he do it? He radiates the very splendor of God. He radiates the very splendor of God. The author of the book of Hebrews in the first or the third verse of the first chapter says this. He said, he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How do you, how do you see the glory of God? You see the glory of God in the presence of Jesus, in the face of Jesus, in the splendor of Jesus. But he's unveiling also the very reality that, that God is present with him too. If, if Jesus is the exact representation of God and he's standing there with the disciples, then God is present with the disciples. How many times have we seen that, beloved, in the Old Testament? I will never leave you or forsake you, even when you can't sense me. And some of you are in that place right now. You can't sense God's presence with you. He's still with you. When, when the disciples were out on the water and could not sense Jesus' presence, he was watching, waiting for the exact moment when he would walk out on the water to them and deliver them from their fears. Jesus is the, radiates the splendor of God and he unveils the very pleasure of God. But, but did you hear what, what... Oh, let's stop for a second. So Peter is encountering this and he doesn't know what to do. 
And most of you, when you don't know what to do or what to say, you don't say anything, right? Good strategy. Peter didn't have that spiritual gift, right? Peter, Peter, when, when he didn't know what to say, just said something. And what he said was, was not unlike what you or I might have said. He said, this is great. This is, or he actually says, this is good. This is good. Let's, let's build here on this mountain three, and the actual word is tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. Now, what was wrong with this is that he was not recognizing that Moses and Elijah were witnessing to the one who was worthy of worship, and what he wanted to do was twofold. One, make a, make a place of worship for these, for these people, but then also protect himself from that glory by putting him in a tabernacle, right? That's where the glory of God dwelled in the Old Testament, in a tabernacle, so that people didn't, couldn't gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. They couldn't see the glory of the Lord. Peter says, this is good. Let's just, let's just have a building campaign here and build three tabernacles. And, 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 and what happens? God speaks. Did you see? Don't, not a word's wasted. He spoke out of what? Out of the... Out of the cloud, right? What was the purpose of that cloud on the mountain? What was the purpose of this pillar of cloud to, to in a sense, protect the people from the glory of the Lord? Out of the, vo- out of the cloud, the voice speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? We've heard that before, haven't we? Where was it? Two years before, at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, when he came up out of the water, right? We saw the Holy Spirit descending in the form of the dove and the voice said, this is my beloved son, a direct quote of Psalm 2-7, tying in the Old Testament prophecies with what was happening right before them and also with whom I am well pleased, right? A direct quote of Isaiah 42-1. The God says, this is him. This is the man. Now, the difference, I love this. The difference here now, two years later, is that God adds something. And I'm going I'm to give you the Dave Mills version of it. Shut up and listen to him, right? The Bible's much too kind to, to say that. Peter, stop. Stop talking. Stop trying to control God. And just encounter God. Just encounter him, Right? So, so we've seen here that, that Jesus radiates the splendor of God. He unveils the presence of God. But in this voice, he also embodies the pleasure of God. Now, you've got to deal with this. Pleasure and God aren't two words that all of us put together, right? Particularly if you went to Catholic school or something like that, right? Um, you don't put those words together. But Jesus is embodying, he's enfleshing the very pleasure of God. And why is this important? This is a, a bunny trail for a second, but because if Jesus is in you, then these words are true for you. You're my beloved child in whom I find pleasure. You are my beloved child in whom I find pleasure. You. I feel, like, I feel like that movie. You are God's beloved child in whom he finds pleasure. You bring pleasure to God through your faith in Jesus Christ. 
to the Christ life that you now live, you bring pleasure to God as well. But Jesus embodies it. And I don't know about you, but when, when I wrestle with the thought that somehow my life might please God, it makes me want to please Him more. It makes me want to give Him pleasure. I, I love the, the, the verse for um, Presbyterian Church in Hilton Head Island where we go with the students sometimes. Their, their um, motto is, cause God joy. Uh, you know, give God pleasure by your life. But Jesus embodies that pleasure. When the Father looks at the Son, the Father cherishes what He sees. When God looks at you, He cherishes what He sees because Christ is in you. But He continues, Jesus also speaks the Word of God and, and God has to kind of drive that home for Peter by, by saying, by adding this to the, to the thing that he did at his baptism, by saying, listen to him. Listen to him. He's speaking the very words of God. That's why when we, we read a scripture, we say that afterwards and we respond to that. Thanks be to God. God is still speaking through Jesus. Well, what, what do we mean by this? Remember, there's Moses and Elijah standing right there with him. He's speaking the word of God. Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18.15 that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and it is to him you, it is to him you shall listen. You shall listen to him. And God comes back and says, listen to him. Jesus is the prophet promised by Moses. The Father used Moses to deliver his people from slavery and the Father used Jesus, he sent Jesus to deliver his people from the slavery of sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that law. But he's also the messenger preceded by Elijah. So in Matthew 17, they've come down from the mountains now, right? And Jesus does this thing. This is the last time we'll see this in Matthew. It's going to change next week. But he does it over and over again in Matthew, and especially in the Gospel of Mark. He does a miracle. He transforms someone's life. He says, don't tell anybody about it, right? And a lot of us just think it's reverse psychology. He's, he's saying, don't tell anybody, and then hoping that we'll go out. No, it's not. He's saying, don't tell anybody about it, because you don't fully understand it yet. Right? And very likely, what you're going to communicate about me is not the fullness of my glory. And so, so he's been saying, don't tell anybody about what you've seen. Don't tell anybody about this amazing revelation of glory on the Mount of Transfigurations. And the disciples ask a funny question. It went by really fast as David was reading it. But the disciples are confused and they say, well, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And and the reason they ask the question is because in their perspective, Jesus, they met Jesus first and now he's shown them Elijah, right? And and they're positive. They said, didn't, I I thought the scripture said that Elijah was supposed to come first, right? And, 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 and Jesus has to straighten out a misunderstanding in, in their lives, what they're understanding. And so help me for a second. Keep your finger right there in Matthew 17 and just flip back to the end of the Old Testament. We've seen this when we were studying um, uh, Elijah, but at the very end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, right? Malachi. And I want to just look real quickly. You still have your finger in Matthew 17. But look real quickly at two places in, in Malachi. First of all, in, in Malachi 3, 1. Behold, 
I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So, so, um, so God's saying through Malachi that before the Lord comes, this messenger, this predecessor will come. And then more specifically, just a page later, in Malachi 4, 4 through 6, he says these words, Remember the law of, guess who, my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I have commanded him at Horeb, or Sinai, for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. So the promise was that preceding the Messiah, Elijah the prophet would come and prepare the way of the Lord. And so the disciples are asking about this. And on one level, their, their question is kind of chronological. We just saw Elijah. How come he didn't come before you? And of course, Jesus answers. He did come. He has already come. Jesus says that in Matthew 17, 12. But that just leads to a deeper theological question because Malachi 4 said that Jesus is here. The Elijah would restore all things and John the Baptist has been beheaded. That doesn't sound like restoration to me. Go deep with me for two minutes, you guys, for a second here. The purpose of Elijah was to restore all things of the Elijah figure. Jesus says John the Baptist was that Elijah figure. And yet, from their perspective, he was beheaded. A tragedy. I mean, I was, I was hopping mad a couple of weeks ago at Herod, right? For the foolishness, the foolishness of that earthly leader, right? How can this be? That he would restore. He didn't usher in any restoration, or so the disciples thought, right? This is where Jesus is helping understand something. The kingdom of God is not being ushered in in the way that they expected. And the kingdom of God won't be ushered in in the way that you necessarily expect. That's why he says, don't mess around with trying to put numbers and dates and all this stuff on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here, and it's coming according to God's plan, not yours. They expected a messianic forerunner and then a Messiah who would usher in a political kingdom. What are you expecting, beloved? What would the Messiah mean to you? Would it be deliverance from brokenness? Would it be an ushering in of a glorious kingdom? What is it that you are looking for? He probably won't come in the way that you expect. They expected triumph and power. He came in in humility and defeat, a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus is showing them that God's kingdom is coming in a different way. The Elijah to come, John the Baptist, had a ministry of restoration. Don't miss this, disciples. He had a ministry of restoration announcing the kingdom, calling people to repent. But in the end, the ministry of restoration through John the Baptist was accomplished in his suffering and death. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that cheerful thought. Right? 
But if you miss this, disciples, if you miss this, you will not understand the events that happen around us. You will not understand how 21 men could be beheaded by, by the Mediterranean Sea in Libya. You will not understand that grace comes through sacrifice, right? Grace comes through sacrifice. John the Baptist is preparing the way, restoring all things, right? He's preparing the way for Jesus Christ because the same thing was said about Jesus that was said about John. His Jesus restoration was accomplished through his suffering and death. The ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of redemption is only going to be accomplished through suffering and death. Here's where the second major point I'd really like you to think about. Remember the first one? We become like what we behold, right? Right. Here's the second one. The cross of Christ must come before the crown of Christ. They did not get that. You do. You do. You're crying out, where is the glory? Show me your glory, Lord. He says, I will but it's not the glory that you're expecting. One day it will be, please don't misunderstand me, one day it will be this vision what what the disciples and Peter just saw. One day, not just Jesus will will be seen in his glory, but, but God will say to us, be glorified and we will receive those glorified bodies. We will be like Jesus, right? We will be like him, but but we're not there yet. Jesus' ministry of redemption was only going to be accomplished through his suffering and death. Before the crown comes the cross. So what do we do? What do we do in this in-between time? What do you do in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the struggle that you find yourself now? Look to his worth. Look to his worth. Worship him. Don't say anything. Don't try and fix it. For Jesus, you probably don't understand it, just worship. Remember, for the first time we saw last week that they fell down and worshipped him. They adored him. Look to his worth. Listen to his word. There's no other way you're going to know this Jesus than by his word. Listen to his word. Hear it. Hear it on tapes. Come to worship to hear it spoken, but but also read it. God has given you this amazing gift of his word. And nothing, nothing can hold you back from spending time except you in his word. Listen to his word. And then live for his glory. Live for his glory. Something about the middle class American culture that that gives you this false illusion that if you just do these certain things, you'll have a nice, secure life. We know better, don't we? We, as we've explored many times, live among the top 5% of all the people who have ever walked the face of the earth. And it's so easy to put our trust in that. But those things are going to go away. This will not go away. The glory of Christ in us will not go Away. Don't put your trust in earthly things. Let's, let's live for his glory. Let's proclaim the one that we worship. Let's proclaim the one that we praise. Let's embrace suffering even when we don't understand it. 
And, and so many of you were at the funeral for the high school student. And who understands that? None of us understand it. But we can still embrace that suffering and trust that God is going to meet us in the midst of that suffering. Embrace suffering as we follow our Savior and long, long for our return, long for his return. Um, I, I, uh, I was struck. and I had to go looking. Peter got this vision of what the resurrected, what the glorified Jesus Christ was like uh, a year before, not a year, uh, uh, half a year before it actually happened. Which of us really understands death and resurrection? I, I love God's word. In Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, we get a picture we get a visual, we get a tutorial on how God can take dust and make it into flesh. Remember? He's prophesied to the bones, Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 37, he does, and, and the bones start rattling. It like, sounds like something from a, a B horror movie, right? Or something. And then all of a sudden, sinews and muscles and skin come on that. And, and it's still not alive. And he says, prophesy to the breath, Ezekiel. And, and, and Ezekiel speaks God's truth. He, he speaks what is true, even though it's not true in front of him. And, and all of a sudden, those dry bones, which have become bodies, now breathe and live again. We get, a, we get a front row seat on resurrection. Do you see what we got today, beloved? Today we got a front row seat on glorification. We got a front row seat on what's going to happen to us when, when we stand before Jesus at that Bema seat of Christ and he says to us, be glorified. God's giving us a vision of it. Here's, here's the trick. It's not going to happen in a once-for-all event then. Paul says we are being transformed from one degree to another, from glory to glory, every time we look to Jesus, every time we gaze upon his beauty. Every time we listen to his word, we are becoming more like him. Oh, as we have to go through the passion of Holy Week, beginning next Sunday with Palm Sunday, don't lose sight of what you know to be true on the other side. Don't lose sight of the resurrection. Don't lose sight of the glorification that's going to happen following that. John was there, right? Peter, James, and John. Peter, by the way, this is the only event in Peter's letters that he writes about was this experience on this mountain in his letters in First and Second Peter. But John also writes about this. In, in 1 John 3, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now look at this. I love this verse. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself or herself as he or she is pure. As he, excuse me, as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in this glorification actually participates in it. Actually participates in it. So I want to invite you. I, I know um, 
In many places, we're crying out to God for different places. In many, in many of our lives, there are physical, emotional, and spiritual storms that just seem to, to knock us completely off kilter. Um, God's not done. He's still working. He invites you to gaze upon his beauty, to gaze upon Jesus Christ and his glory. And in that very process, you will be changed. You will be changed. God, thank you for this congregation. I'm so grateful for the amazing courage that you've granted so many, God, as they have sought to know you. Not just to, uh, not just to have um, a short, uh, pat answers about you, but to know you, Christ. Just like Paul said in, in Philippians, to know the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you, in your death so that we might also rise with you, so that we might also be glorified with you. God, I pray your strength for um, this precious flock. I pray that you would allow us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. I pray from glory to glory, God, that you would transform us into the image of Jesus. Because I believe with all my heart, God, that that's what (laughs) the world needs to see. It needs to see followers of Christ who glorify God, who are courageous and standing, even in the midst of amazing, amazing trials, even in the face of death, are standing and saying one thing, you, Jesus Christ, you are God. To you be the glory and praise. Amen.